0: Hey there, podcast listeners, a quick invitation before we begin today's episode. Many of you know I am a Presbyterian pastor, and so spiritual practices, faith practices are part of my life, and wanted to invite you to a particular practice this Lenten season. The Christian season of Lent, a season of reflection and penitence, begins this Wednesday, February 22nd. And we are going on our second year of a particular birding spiritual practice. We call it a bird from the Lord. You can find us with that hashtag on Twitter, hashtag a bird from the Lord. And the practice is simply this, to set aside 10 minutes every day and to look for birds. You can sit near a window. If it's cold where you are, you can sit outside in your yard in a park and spend 10 minutes in silence, waiting to see what happens. It's a spiritual practice of learning how to observe, how to sit in silence, how to have your eyes and your ears and your heart open. It has been a transformative spiritual practice for me. I've seen birds I never would have noticed. I've experienced God in the silences and the small, beautiful sounds of nature. If you have any interest in participating, you are welcome to join us 10 minutes a day to sit in silence and look for birds. We hashtag it a bird from the Lord. Lent begins this Wednesday, February 22nd and runs through Easter Sunday, April 9th. And now to our show. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm Courtney Ellis. It is so good to be here with you today. We have a wonderful special guest, church historian and British Columbian birding guide who knows so much more about those cold weather species than I do. I'm so excited to learn today from Paul Foth. Good morning. Paul, it's so good to have you here. Welcome. Thank you very much. So I was speaking with a, a birder from Georgia recently, and he and I agreed that we don't know how people bird in the winter in the northern areas of the globe. So tell me about what appeals to you in, the, in birding in British Columbia.
1: Well, so um, I grew up on the West Coast uh, in the Pacific Northwest in uh, Washington State, and I lived also in coastal BC for a while. And in the coast, it's warm. It's wet. Uh, you get a lot of birds throughout the winter. When I told a birder friend of mine that I was going to move to 100 Mile House BC, that's central BC, he said, well, you know, the summers are going to be better, but your winters are going to be terrible. Um, and it's kind of true if, if you're living for birds, the winters are sparse. So mm. um, I remember um, snowshoeing uh, for about an hour to go birding at a nearby valley. I saw two ravens. And that was it. So it's not always that bad. Um, And we do get some wonderful northern species, lots of winter finches, Mm. and owls, hawk owls, um, great gray owls, and so on.
0: You're tougher than I am, though. I'm just going to admit it.
1: Yeah, well, I've had to learn.
0: (laughs) So you are a church historian as well. Tell me about your areas of interest in church history.
1: Yeah, so my primary focus is uh, modern evangelicalism, um, especially America. So 20th century, 21st century. Hmm. So uh, my, I I just have a master's degree. I'm not at the PhD level, but my um, thesis was in American evangelical interpretations of St. Francis of Assisi, beginning in the 1970s.
0: Fascinating.
1: Yeah, so it's... um, yeah, a lot of um, evangelical leaders, authors, and so on, um, had a lot of growing interest in St. Francis. He's a he's a widely appealing figure, um, but they also interpreted him in so many different ways. So mm. you have, um, you know, a more environmentalist St. Francis, or you have one who's focused on kind of a Bonhoefferian view of uh, biblical obedience and costly discipleship, or you have um, kind of the evangelical left loved St. Francis. So you get all these different versions of St. Francis that probably say more about the interpreter than about the saint himself.
0: It's a little bit like what we've done to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Everyone kind of has their own. Or
1: I mean Jesus. I mean, uh, it's (laughs) it's just how historical appropriation works a lot of the times. People make historical figures their own.
0: We pull off all those layers of this is the one I like. Six yeah. pound, five ounce baby Jesus, right? Is yes, that from, exactly. the, <laughs> from the, the legend of Ricky Bobby? Yeah. So Paul, you are a birding guide. I will admit, I've, I've been a birder for about two years. I have never gone out with a guide. What What makes a good birding guide and what got you into guiding?
1: Well, you know, I don't do it a lot. It's my side, uh, side gig. Um, I probably do more bird surveying. But I got into bird guiding because a friend of mine was, uh, uh, regularly trying to get me to join him on expensive bird tours. You know, they cost 2000 bucks and that doesn't include your hotel and your flight to, I don't know, Costa Rica or Texas or something. So, um, eventually I just said, Hey, listen, let me organize it. It'll be a lot cheaper. Um, that didn't happen. That was right at the beginning of COVID, um, we were going to go to Arizona. We eventually did. We went to Texas um, just this last year. So that uh, two years later, that tour um, came to fruition. But uh, it just got me thinking that, hey, I could do this. I can do this in BC where I know the birds. So um, I advertise locally. Most of the tours I do are in the caribou region of BC. Mm. And um, I uh, mostly uh, take people who are there on vacation out on uh, some bird tours for a few hours. I've done some stuff with the photographer. So that's a bit different than some of the other birding, like a lot of uh, waiting around, trying to get a picture of one bird. Um, But then I take other people out to to bird hotspots or people who want to find a certain kind of breeding species that we get there.
0: Do you find that your guiding is shaped by the people you're taking out? Like you'd take Absolutely. a photographer to a different, like the lighting matters if you're taking a yes. photographer out versus someone who really, really, really wants to see a particular bird.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's different if you're taking an experienced birder out than someone who doesn't know the birds. An experienced birder is going to come look for our specialties in the area mm. or someone else just wants to see a lot of birds.
0: Right. The more the merrier. Yeah, Exactly. So tell me, about, tell me about the Caribou region of BC. You said it's inland, yes, so it's colder. it's
1: inland. Sure, yeah. So um, uh, British Columbia is basically ringed by mountains. Um, so we have the Coast Mountains on the coast, the Rocky Mountains, um, the Cascades in the south. In the middle, there's a big plateau uh, on either side of the Fraser River. So that's uh, the southern part of that is called the Caribou Chilcote. Hmm. So I live in 100 Mile House, which is the south edge of the caribou, um, but it's relatively flat. I have to drive a couple hours to see any mountain of, of note. Hmm. Um, not prairie flat, though. Rolling hills. Hmm. Um, but we get a lot of ponds and marshes and lakes because of the sort of flatter topography. Um, We're the breeding center for uh, a lot of the diving ducks. So both golden eyes and buffalo were the breeding center for North America. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's a, it's a big flat area. That's a transition habitat. So along the Fraser river, which is our big river in BC um, in the caribou, it's very dry, almost desert like conditions. So we have sagebrush, a lot of kind of sandy and rocky terrain, um, and there we get some of the Southern, what you would think of sort of as interior West bird species. So we're about at the North end of the range for Western kingbird, um, house Wren. We have flammulated owls along there. Um, and white-throated swifts, mm. And you know, dry. Um, well, it's what to me is dry, hot birds. Um, it's not, if you're in Arizona, you get a totally different mix. Um, and then, uh, if you get toward the mountains, so toward the east end of the caribou, there's, it's called the caribou mountains. It's really uh, kind of boreal or subboreal habitat. So you get breeding pine grosbeaks, beaks um, and you start to get some of the, the so-called Eastern warblers. So black pole warbler, Tennessee warbler, and um, magnolia.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and then I'm in the middle where it's lots of ponds and marshes. Um, so if I, if I go where it's a little bit wetter, uh, to the East, I can get tons of warblers, lots of red starts and, uh, water thrushes and so on. Um, where I am, it's mostly a lot of ducks. Um, so I mean, every, every duck really that you can think of, except a few of the sea ducks breed there. Um, mm. and even white wing scoters have historically, I haven't found them in breeding time mm. yet, but I'm lucky.
0: Not yet. That's always the yeah. birder's word. Not oh, not
1: yet. yet. Yeah. But it's great because we, we're in the, where the habitats, um, or sorry, where the ranges meet for um, some similar birds. So we get uh, willow and alder flycatcher. Mm. Uh, where I am. willow dominates, if I go two hours north, um, it's mostly alder. We get uh, two of the sapsuckers. So red nape sapsucker is primary, um, but then in parts of the caribou, you get red-breasted. And I've seen uh, hybrids that come out differently.
0: Oh, um, interesting. Really I didn't interesting. realize oh, those yeah. would crossbreed.
1: Yeah, and they're yeah, really interesting hybrids. And then there's surprises. So I do some surveys up in the Chilcotin, which is uh, it's the, the caribou region on the other side of the Fraser. So it's a little further west. So we have Um, folks
0: who listen to this show who are very experienced birders and we have newbie birders. So for newbie birders, what is a survey? What does that mean when you're going out and doing surveys? So,
1: um, well, what I've done are breeding bird inventories. So I do point counts where I stand and look and listen. It's mostly, it's probably 90% listening for bird songs. Mm -hmm. And I do this in the summer when, um, they're breeding birds there. So I got some contracts with the British Columbia Ministry of Wildlife Um, to do some, to survey some of their own conservation lands. Mm. So, yeah, it looks like standing still for a few minutes, marking down everything I hear, uh, and then walking through some transects, uh, noting everything I uh, see or hear on that transect, and I keep going Um, Mm. across as many habitats as I can in each property. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's taken me to some very interesting places, Um, really remote marshes, in the Chilcotin. Um, And uh, recently, uh, this last year, I got to survey a place called Hansville, which is on the Chilcotin River. So the Chilcotin River feeds into the Fraser River. Around where they meet, it's very, it's that hot, dry, um, for us, (laughs) hot, dry habitat. Um, And so I got a, I saw a lark sparrow, which is very rare up here. They're in southern kind of southern interior BC, but not not for us. Um, and then just a lot of diversity of cavity nesting birds. House wren is rarer up here as well. Those were there. Uh, lots of bluebirds and swallows. Um, lots of birds mm. in the brush that came up because this was a fire burned area. Um, so in 2017, we had some major wildfires. But um, since then, it's great for a lot of bird species. I mean, woodpeckers mm. love it, but, but a lot of others as well.
0: What got you into birding in the first place? What was the draw for you?
1: Oh, it was a slow process. Um, I saw a bird. To this day, I don't really know what it was. Um, I was a teenager, you know, outside my my uh, house, and I thought it looked like a chickadee, but very yellow. Um, so I, I looked through. I found a field guide and thought maybe it was a Townsend's warbler. I think, with experience, it's probably a yellow-rumped uh, Autobahn sealed around hmm. Um, but I had a, a couple other experiences like that too. I'm like, what was that? That was really interesting. Um, and I slowly started to, uh, use a field guide. I borrowed an old version from the eighties. Um, then for a while I worked, uh, in a kind of ministry, social work setting with the family support center and worked with, um, mm. migrant farm workers and jail and prison inmates. And it was really intense work. Um, and so what I would do is a lot of bird watching. Uh, at that point I was in Mount Vernon in Washington, um, which is, uh, a beautiful Valley, the Skagit River Valley, um, and very close to the ocean. Mm. So I would go out to some wildlife areas, coastal marshes and, um, bird a lot so uh, so I learned a lot that way then I have um I'm the oldest of three brothers my youngest brother got into birds around the same time and he challenged me to a competition so (laughs) I had to learn my birds a lot faster um it was a a big year to try to to beat each other Uh, I won so (laughs) it it worked
0: just want to note that (laughs) yeah
1: oh yeah Kevin if you're listening
0: Little healthy competition never hurt anybody. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what a big year is, a big year is when you decide uh, that this is your birding year and you go out and try to see as many species as possible and you keep a list, exactly. you keep a record.
1: Yeah, exactly. Find the most birds you can.
0: There's a movie about it with Steve Martin.
1: Mm-hmm. I really expected the movie to be a lot funnier than it was. Me but too. But what was funny about it is the so way I have three brothers. So like I said, the middle brother is not a birder. We all watched it together and he just made fun of us the whole time yep. um, for all the nerdy bird things we said.
0: Yeah. This is, this is most of my relationship with my husband right now. He's like, Oh, is did it? you see the green breasted Hoosley dude? And I'm like, that's not a thing. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. He's not a birder yet.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. One day.
0: One day. <laughs> Has your middle brother, have you gotten your middle brother into this yet? Nope. Not, not at yet. All. <laughs> so from the big, Year to the birding surveys to the the mm-hmm. guiding trips that you take, how does your faith influence your birding? How do those things connect for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, um well, for a long time, just being outside was an attempt to be more prayerful um mm-hmm. and meditative contemplative. um I encountered um the idea of the contemplation of nature in some of the church fathers. Um, I have to say, I'm not an expert in early church history. I just, I dabble a little bit. Um, but, um, the idea being that, um, you know, some, some church fathers talk about the, the book of nature, uh, as another way that, um, reveals God to us. So, um, contemplating, um, nature as a step toward God. Um, some of this drew a lot on Plato. I like Plato. I've, uh, read, um, symposium uh, last year which is all about love um, and beauty and so for for um, Socrates in that in the symposium um, beauty is points toward the immortal uh, and the true beauty so it's sort of a um, you know Plato had the the ideal forms and I don't know quite about that but um, but I do think a lot about the beauty of birds, if I'm hearing a beautiful song of a black-headed growth speak or I see a, a Townsend's warbler, the really brilliant um, black and yellow, I, I try to think of that as pointing me toward um, the immortal true beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in my thinking, um, birds, seeing the birds, hearing the birds helps me uh, grow in longing um, for the true beauty. Uh, the immortal beauty, which is God.
0: Mm. That's really beautifully put.
1: So, and I, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I also like competition and I like bird lists. So that there's it's a, not, um, it's
0: not pure holiness. <laughs> oh no, I'm
1: not out like being a, a Zen master in nature. Um, I can see
0: your halo from here through the yeah, zoom screen.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it it has been so. Sub- Surprising to me as as a fairly new birder, I'm about two and a half years into my my birding life, the, the intimacy between birding and prayer. Like you said, I used to have this very rigid understanding of you say, dear God, and then you say, amen, and there are words in the middle, but it's so much bigger than that. And often it is out on the hike looking for what God will bring into my path that I feel most prayerful and I feel most connected to the Lord and just the reminder that I can't force those blessings to come. I can't force those revelations to come, but if I sit and pay attention, God will bring things to me.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's very much like, I mean, there's just that element of surprise with birds, uh, especially a rare bird. Um, I mean, they're wild. They have wings, they can fly anywhere, but sometimes they'll show up right when you're there as a, yeah. as a, a gift and um, not one you can really control. You can kind of predict bird movements, but they're still wild. Um, yeah, still have wings.
0: You can sit all day in that mosquito-infested marsh and, and never I've see a thing, it, yeah. and you can find something amazing in a grocery store and parking lot. Too, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> constant, constant source of delight. Yeah. So, have you encountered in your church history work? Have you encountered figures in the church history who were birders? I have, in any sort sense? of yeah.
1: No, I have actually birders too. So, um. Thinking early history, so I'm, a, um, I'm Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, and my um, mm. uh, patron saint is St. Cuthbert. Um, and he lived on the island of Farn, um, off kind of nor- northern England. Um, and uh, there's a, some stories attributed to him around uh, birds in nature. So one is sort of an Elijah like story of being fed by ravens. Um, and another one is him. He he used to pray in the, in the sea. Um, so stand kind of up Mm -hmm. to his shoulders in the ocean, uh, when he prayed very intense. And there's a story of one of the, one of the other monks or novices, um, watching him. And these, I believe it was, uh, sea otters, um, Something like that mm. just came, joined him, and warmed him uh, while he was praying.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and then, according to this, is a later legend, so it may or may not have been historically accurate. <laughs> Might oh, be a yeah, what happens. But yeah. we're going
0: to go with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the legends they grow. The, the
1: legend that grew <laughs> is that he also protected all of the breeding birds um, on the island of Farn. So, which would have been mm. uh, scoters, um I think it's scoters and they call them, uh, St. Cuthbert's ducks or Cuddy ducks in the UK, mm. um, because he, mm. he protected them. And there's, I think even a really intense story of, a of a monk, um, I, I think he, he died or had some sort of, um, injury because he, uh, because he raided a nest and, and took a bird. So, yeah. So according to legend, it's some of the first conservation lands, um. Came from Saint Cuthbert. Mm-hmm. Um, Saint Francis, of course, of Assisi has has lots of famous bird stories. Um, probably the most famous bird story: he's uh, he's preaching. He he sees some birds and he begins preaching to them, you know, telling them to be grateful to God for giving them life and giving them um, giving them food and providing for them. And they all gather around, and then he blesses them and sends them out. Um, and then. I think it's in the Little Flowers of St. Francis, which is a bit of a later source. Um, I think the birds make the sign of the cross in the air and then go uh, north, south, east and west, representing um, St. Francis' message spreading. Um, Hmm. So, yeah, you get some of that in in medieval uh, um, hagiography. Um, uh, One modern birder, (laughs) so studying evangelicalism, one recent birder is John Stott. Um, so the British evangelical, he, um, there's actually a John Stott birding day now Memorial birding day. Um, and I think they, they time it with the global big day, which is a day when birders around the world go, uh, go find as many birds as they can. So John Stott was, Hmm. would, uh, travel around a lot to speak. He was a famous evangelical. And, um, sometimes instead of an honorarium, he would ask for a local field guide, Uh, book to the birds of the area. So he had apparently quite the life list, uh, thousands of birds. And then I heard through the grapevine here in British Columbia that there were some pastors up in the Yukon uh, that were, you know, they're very isolated. It's remote up there. They were trying to get John Stott to come. So they basically bribed him um, and said they would hire a local birding guide for the mornings. Um, and then the afternoons he would meet with the local pastors and do Bible studies. So he came there to bird.
0: Oh Sold. yeah. That's all yeah. it takes. <laughs> It is so interesting because birding is largely such a solitary endeavor for so many people and the more questions I ask the more I discover oh you're a birder oh interesting you know you're a you're a famous christian musician or you're a famous christian author or you know you're you're a church historian but you're also mm-hmm. a birder because it is this kind of personal almost spiritual practice for so many people but you ask the right questions and you discover John yeah, Stott yeah. is is getting a field guide instead yeah. of an honorarium it's a beautiful thing so John Stott and Saint Francis. Did you grow up Eastern Orthodox, or was that a no? Yeah.
1: Tell I, me, tell me a, that story. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, I grew up non-denominational evangelical in the Seattle suburbs, um, and uh, you no, know, I you know I have some friends who have had some, and I mean heard of lots of other stories. People who've had difficult Christian upbringings. I didn't really have uh, any baggage. Uh, so mm-hmm. to speak. I wasn't, I didn't feel like there was anything pushing me out. Um, but I slowly became enamored with Eastern Orthodox theology, uh, mm-hmm. the church fathers. Um, and uh, when, when I got married in 2015, my wife and I started visiting an Orthodox church in Chilliwack, BC. So that's a, an hour and a half or so out of Vancouver. Um, and it, and we were visiting other churches as well you know going to the vineyard and so on and um it got to the point where we just wanted to keep going to the orthodox church because of the beauty of the liturgy mm. very sustaining it was also a wonderful community there um and i i think the question became for us not not so much a theological question of what's you know what's the best church out there who's the truest it was more of a question of, you know, how can we become more united with God, and mm. when the answer was clear to us that that was by um, going on this path down orthodoxy, then we we joined, mm. um, we were chrismated and become orthodox. So that was uh, uh, good. I don't know, six seven years ago.
0: It's mm. um, a beautiful, beautiful story. I love hearing people's faith journeys because rarely do you start and end up in the same place but yeah. it's the same god the whole way right there's yeah. a different understanding i grew up evangelical free as well and okay. uh, now i'm presbyterian and you know for a lot of nice. similar reasons of i the older i get the more i realize the beauty of the liturgy to carry me when i don't have the words to pray myself and i was raised as similar to you beautiful faith story you know don't have a lot of baggage from it but We didn't do much with church history. I didn't know there was anyone Mm -hmm. who was deeply faithful between the Apostle Paul and Billy Graham. There was just kind of this (laughs) Or maybe Martin Luther. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Luther did okay. Calvin did okay. (laughs) Um, But to rediscover the church fathers and the church mothers and the richness Mm -hmm. of their prayer life and the richness of their faith stories has been such a balm for my soul. It feels much less lonely and much less scary out there
1: yeah and there there's just a lot of centuries of wisdom. Um, yeah it's It's really helpful. It's really um you know reading reading people who have had the same struggles and temptations and who have um, found ways together um, over the centuries building on the wisdom of one another to to keep going.
0: yeah, this the story is long. Yes. There's, there's relief in that too. I think that it's, it's not all on us in the year 2023 to get it right, that we stand no. <laughs> on the shoulders of giants and there will, be, there will be people of faith who come after us and praise God for that. Yeah. So, Paul, what is your favorite bird? As of oh, today, what is your favorite bird and why?
1: As of today, um, you know, I really love snow buntings and I don't get to see them very often. I am Northern, but not that Northern. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I were, if I lived five, seven hours North, um, they would be much more common. Um, I had one encounter with one this year and I heard it only It flew over,
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: but I miss seeing them. They're, they're really beautiful, uh, white, black, and you know, various kind of hues of Brown and gray in between. Um, And when you see a big flock, uh, you know, one of their old names is snowflake because mm-hmm. it, they move like the snow. Um, they're usually on the ground. Um, and when they take off, uh, often they they take off quite a waste. They don't just uh, hop to the next bush like a sparrow. They kind of fly around in the air for a while before they settle back down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I love seeing snow buntings. They're, I think, one of the most beautiful and I wish I could see them more.
0: It's a bird blizzard. It is. Yeah. I have never I, seen a snow bunting. I got to put it on my list.
1: One of my favorites was a, a Christmas day. Um, a good number of years ago, um, visiting. So my wife's family is in the caribou. So we were visiting. Uh, we didn't live there at the time, but I found them in town. Hmm. Um, actually, I think my wife found them. She said, Hey, we should look around the air on the other side of the, the curling rink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> True story. And that's where they were, Uh, you know, a good 30 of them just moving around in a parking lot.
0: Sometimes that's where the whimsy finds you, isn't it? The the other side of the curling rink. rink. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to go to Costa Rica. You just got to go to the other side of the the curling rink. It's true. (laughs) Well, Paul, where are you finding hope right now? Hmm.
1: Um, I am currently visiting Western Washington at the moment, and I love the ocean or mm-hmm. I guess the Puget Sound here, Salish Sea. Um I love the salt water smell. I love all of the seabirds. Um I like the endlessness of the ocean. Um another, I mean, another connection to kind of contemplation of nature, connecting mm-hmm. to the infinity of God. Um mm-hmm. I I also like back home in the in the caribou. Um another thing that gives me hope are these forest fire burned area. So there's a Mm. um, just uh, not far away from my house, actually, there was a a 2017, a a different 2017 forest fire, um, but it left a huge area of um, burned trees. Uh, Some of those trees have been cleared. So some of it's sort of like new grasslands, um, but some of the trees are still up. So I can find blackback woodpeckers back there, um, which are, they're not common. but they are surprisingly common in the burn. Um mm. they love those uh, charred trees, so do a lot of other woodpeckers. And then recently there have been a lot of sharp-tailed grouse, which are quite endangered in BC. There's not very many places to find them. Mm. Um they're really beautiful grouse, very light, uh kind of a lot of stripes. They're sort of a prairie bird. Um and there were uh historically they were a lot greater Um, there were a lot more areas of grasslands, native grasslands in BC than there are now. I mean, Mm. that's the story kind of everywhere. Um, but I was surprised to start finding these, um, so close to home. Um, Mm. and I found some, uh, some juveniles as well. So they're breeding there. Um, and I, I see groups all the time of these sharp-tailed grouse. Um, Mm. but the historically I, I, Act, asked a local biologist and they weren't uh, so common here. There are other locations for them, more grassland areas, but they've moved in a lot greater number after the burn. Mm-hmm. So just that idea of the of the forest fires um regenerating um and and creating new new paths uh for birds to come in.
0: Mm. There's a spiritual metaphor there for sure. <laughs> I'm sure there is yeah <laughs> I have a friend who always says, prune me gently, Lord. But sometimes it's yeah. on the other side of the fire that the the new life shows up. The new birds can can flourish, even though nobody likes the fire. Yeah. Fires, fire is no fun.
1: Yeah. And during that fire, we had uh, my in-law's pets at our house. Oh. So a, a dog and a cat.
0: All God's creatures. Yes. <laughs> so Paul, if folks who are listening to this show are thinking about going out with a birding guide... What should they look for? How can you tell if this is a good guide, if this person knows what they're doing? What would you tell people to look for? I mean, they should all obviously travel to BC and just go out with you. But if they're not in BC...
1: (laughs) You know, to be honest, I've never gone on a guided tour, Hmm. uh, unless it's one I (laughs) co-led. So um, I guess read reviews, talk to people who have gone on the trip. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's some good, well-known companies out there um, that do quality quality bird tours so you can take a look around um and if you're traveling i mean uh try to find a local guide um you know even just a local birder you could hire for a few hours to to take you out and, and find the kind of birds you're looking for
0: mm. I look into some of these birding tours and they're, like you said, they're thousands of dollars. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't want that. I want to pay someone a hundred dollars and sit in their backyard because there's an owl there. Like that's, that's what I want. That's the kind of birding tour I want.
1: So if you come to central BC to the caribou, I will take you um, all around. We have all kinds of birds.
0: Perfect. My, my kingdom for one of your great gray owls up there. That's, that's on my, Oh, you have
1: to come in winter for that
0: well i don't know about that paul yeah
1: it's, it's not great in winter,
0: it's <laughs> I grew up in Northern Wisconsin, but this time in Southern California has made me a little bit of a a yeah. <laughs> little bit of a wimp when it comes to the weather nice i got I got to get my hockey skates laced back up and get tough again. Nice thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and you took us from Plato to St. Francis to John stott to the b c birding. You have any final words of wisdom for us for our new and experienced birders?
1: Um, Consider the birds of the air.
0: I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Yes. Trying to to place it. it.
1: It It's probably a meme.
0: (laughs) Everything is if it lasts long enough. Yeah. That is a good word, sir. Thank you so much for the gift of your time for being with us on The Thing with Feathers today.
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you very much.
0: The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking So Yes it does.